Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first time home buyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Real View Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Wiley. With me today, we have Joe Rand, who is the Chief Creative Officer at Howard Hanna and Rand Realty. He's also an author, a speaker. He was the 2020 Realtor of the Year in the Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors in New York. He's going to be presenting at the Ohio Realtors 2021 convention here in just a few short weeks. And I'm sure I am leaving so much out. Um, his bio has quite the accomplishments listed. But Joe, we are so happy to have you joining us today. Thank you for being here with us. Allison, great to be here. Thank you for having me. This is the, I, I always enjoy these kind of experiences, and I'm really looking forward to being in Columbus uh, in September to uh, speak to all your members. So um, uh, that's the, I'm really grateful to, for you to have me on. Yeah, we're so excited. And hopefully um, today's episode will give a little preview. We don't want to give too much away since you will be presenting at our convention. And we want to, you know, keep that special for all of our guests at convention. But hopefully you'll share with us today a little bit about what you'll be presenting on at convention. But before we get into all of that, we will go to our question, our signature question on The Real View, which is what is the best view that you have ever seen? Uh, you know, there's so many ways people can take this question, and I'll bet people have tried to be creative and talk about the day their child was born or something like that. Have you gotten a lot of that? Yes. Uh, because, <laughs> I mean, if I were to answer it that way, I would answer it that we adopted my, I have a son and a daughter. The son is adopted. He came first, and then uh, we had the daughter biologically. But I will say the day that I met my son in a small house in southern Taiwan that was a great view, looking in and seeing him for the first time. But that's, I think that's a cheat and that's precious and, <laughs> you know, whatnot. I will say for the for the purposes of the way I think the question is intended, I will tell you my favorite view of all time was, I mean, I love views from the top of mountains looking down on cities. So Hong Kong has a great view from a top of a mountain. But I always loved because I lived in San Francisco for two years. San Francisco has a sort of a mountain, a hilltop, mountaintop uh, called Twin Peaks that it's right in the center of the city from which you can see the entire city all the way to the Pacific Ocean, which you can see to the west of the hilltop, north to the Golden Gate Bridge, east to the Bay Bridge and all of downtown. And it lays out for you so beautifully and you can really, really see the city. And the reason I mention is only because it is to me the criminally underattended tourist spot of, yeah. of San Francisco, because I always would tell people when you go to San Francisco, you have to go to Twin Peaks and you have to go look at the view because it's not it's not highlighted on any kind of the trips or anything like that. And it's really just a beautiful view. And San Francisco is a beautiful city that I was I was privileged to live in for two years. I get back every couple of years for conferences and things like that. And every time I do, I take the trip up to Twin Peaks. It's a beautiful view from up there. 
I love that. And, and, you know, it's so funny that you touched on, you know, how do you answer this? Because when we have guests on the podcast, then I let them know, you know, we're going to ask your real view question. What's the best view? Everyone is always like, well, what do you mean? How do I answer that? And I'm like, it's however you want to answer it. It can be metaphorical. It can be, you know, your vacation view, however you want to answer that. But yeah, everybody kind of um, reacts in the same way with that question. They want to get creative. They want to be creative and come up with something that it occurred to me that I, I, and I was right that like, that's been done a million times. Like, so I don't want to, so I'll give you, I give you the, the kind of precious one. It's like when people say to you, who would you uh, want to have dinner with living or dead? If you could have dinner. And my answer would always be my dad. I mean, I'd love to, my dad passed away about seven or years ago. And that would be my dad. Like I'd much rather have dinner yeah. with my dad than like Abraham Lincoln or whoever, but like those are sort of off limit uh, choices because that's not the point of the question. So yeah, so it's the same sort of it's the same sort of cheat that you uh, yes. <laughs> you, you you work your way around the question. You in the Star Trek parlance, you Kobayashi Maru the question. <laughs> exactly for sure. But thank you. I love I love both of those answers. And see, we got to learn something about you. I had no idea that you know you adopted a child. So very cool. That's another reason why I like to answer this because you find things about your guests that you may not know otherwise. So very very cool. Okay, well on the on the other uh, topic of you know, your life and your background and your history. Tell us a little bit about um, how you got started in real estate. What's been your journey? What has that been like? We know that you lived in San Francisco for a little bit. Now you're in New York. Tell us about your background, how you got started in real estate. Well, my mother, Marcia, started in real estate in the 70s when I was a kid. And then she started a real estate company in the early 1980s, really did have had phenomenal success with it. I, you know, when I turned 18, I got my, I worked in the company. I would clean empty houses. I would mow lawns of vacant houses and things like that. So I was working there all through my teens. I got my license at 18. And then every summer I would try to be an agent. I would, you know, do a lot of lead gen, try to get one deal, try to close one deal. Cause that would be like beer money for the year. Like a couple thousand dollars <laughs> that pays for my beer for my next year of college. And I was pretty much every year I would get either a deal in contract, which they never would close while I, this summer because, you know, the time takes a long time to close a deal in New York. But I would always get something. I'd get a referral. I'd get, some, I'd get some sort of money that I would get out of those summers. But then I got away from it. I mean, I graduated college. I went to law school. I graduated law school. I did a bunch of law-related things. I worked at, for a judge. I worked at a law firm. I then got a fellowship at Stanford, which is why I was living out in San Francisco, uh, where I studied law and psychology and decision-making and things like that. And my intention was to become a law professor, which I did for a couple of years at Brooklyn Law and then Fordham Law back in New York, but I didn't love it. And meanwhile, my brothers were had gotten into the business with my mom, and back around 2000, about 21 years ago, they convinced me to go in it with them. They said, listen, we need a lawyer and we need a teacher, and you do both those things. So I started working for the company and gradually you know, transitioned out from teaching to doing a whole bunch of things for the company, running the company with my brothers and and I've been doing that for 20 years. And about 10 years ago, I, you know, I did so much training. I came up with so much content that I started to get on the speaking circuit. I started to do the Inman conferences. I started to do RAS media conferences. I've never spoken in NAR, but I've spoken at lots of realtor conferences around the country, like what I'm doing in September with you, which led to writing two books, which the, the all right, here's the, here's the dirty secret of it. It was really one book that I was working on and it got so big and it was tonally very inconsistent because part of it was very diagnostic about here's all the stuff that's wrong with the real estate industry. 
And then there was all this stuff about how real estate agents can overcome all those problems and build a great business. And I realized that I needed to bifurcate, separate out those two concepts. And I wrote one book, published it first called Disruptors, Discounters, and Doubters, which is a diagnostic about what's wrong with the real estate industry. And then my second book, which came out the next year, I think in 19, 2019, How to Be a Great Real Estate Agent, which is more of a prescriptive training manual for real estate agents about how to build their business by being great at their job. So one of them was how the real estate industry can get better, and the other one is how real estate agents can get better. And they were much better as separate books, not not the least of which reason was no one's going to read a 450-page book. So 200, two 200-page books do a lot better. Um, and uh, and so those got published, and that got me more speaking gigs. Uh, and, and in the last year or so, I've pulled back a little bit from the real estate company. I'm not involved in the day-to-day anymore. I started working for the broker public portal, BPP, which is aligned with HomeSnap to try to help HomeSnap grow and develop its business throughout the country. So I've been doing that while I still do some work for what is now Howard Hanna Rand Realty. It used to be, we used to be with different brands. We partnered with Howard Hanna, Howard Hanna last year. So that's my journey to get here. Somewhat unconventional, but here I am. Yeah, that's very cool. It's interesting because I love to ask my guests, you know, what is your history? How did you get started in real estate? I just think listening to stories of how people got started in their career is so interesting. And there's so many that it was kind of a family thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting to see how that family, you know, backgrounds kind of infused and got so many of our guests started on their real estate journey. So that's very cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do now. I know you just mentioned, you know, pulling back a little bit from the day-to-day real estate, but tell us what you do now. I know you won the Realtor of the Year in 2020 during a COVID year. I think our listeners would love to kind of hear how you did that and maybe, you know, how this year was different or not different, you know, than previous years? And how did you find such such great success, you know, last year during a pandemic? Well, you know, I will tell you this. When the pandemic hit in 2000, we were at the ground zero. I mean, New York was hit first. It was hit hardest. We really didn't know. I mean, we lost 25,000 people in two months in the state because no one knew how to treat it back then. And there was really no remedial. It was, it was a tough. And we did a total lockdown. By the middle of March, Real estate agents couldn't show houses. We were in our homes. And that was from mid to late March through April and May. It only opened up in June. Uh, And I can remember at the end of March being like, you know, are we going to close a house in April and May? I mean, are we going to be able to pay our bills? Because, you know, we have a big company. We've got 1,200 agents. We've got 30 offices. Uh, You know, we have a big nut every month between salaries. You know, we have 100 employees, uh, salaries and mortgages, uh, rents and everything else. And I can remember sitting down with my brother, Matt, who was the CEO at the time, and uh, still, still the CEO, and we're sitting down thinking about, okay, what bills can we put off paying? What can we do to marshal our money? And we were in triage mode. And then in the middle of April, I kind of ran the numbers to see how we were doing, and we were shocked to find that we were down a lot, but we weren't out. We weren't like zero. You know, we were down about 50%, which I will take 50% down in the middle of a pandemic, and that's the way it stayed through April and May. And then in June, the pandemic eased up where we were. It then picked up other parts of the country. But in New York and New Jersey, we'd done a lot of remedial stuff to tamp it down. And we'd started to, the market exploded. All this pent-up demand. Plus, in our market, we not only had pent-up demand of people who have been, you know, kept from seeing houses or showing houses or listing their houses for two and a half, three months. But we also had a big exodus of people moving out of the urban centers in New York City 
who wanted, you know, greener pastures and bigger houses and things like that because they turned away from kind of small, small, dense, dense places. So we had a huge year last year and then a huge year this year. And one of the things I really do, I think the overall in my area and I think around the country, the fact that, you know, real estate did so well throughout Mm -hmm. this was really a testament, I think, to the creativity of the people in the industry that they figured out ways to show houses without actually physically showing them. They, you know, people in my, you know, I had a lawyer that opened up by the end of March, he had a tent in the front yard of his building with a plexiglass shield down the center of it. He was doing closings outdoor outdoors all through April and May, you know, people got creative and they did really cool stuff. And I think one of the reasons I got the realtor of the year that year was to some extent, I put out a lot of content about coping with the pandemic. We were doing at my company a daily hour long zoom every day, every weekday from mid March through the, through mid June just to run the numbers and go over what the new rules were and how to keep yourself motivated and how to keep yourself working in this really weird circumstances. And so I felt very, I felt very, very proud of the work that everybody in my company did. And I felt proud about the work that I put in during that period. And then, you know, and it was really a shock to get the realtor of the year because I'm not a, I'm not on any committees. I don't go to any meetings. I mean, I'm one of these people that never gets involved with the MLS, never gets involved with the realtor association but whenever they've needed something from me, I've always done it. So they need me to speak at something, I come speak at it. And so the people that run that MLS, Richard Haggerty and his team, they're a great group of people. They saw fit to, to give me that award, which I was really honored by. It really, you know, it was one of those things that really touched me that I got it because I, I didn't get it because of like a lifetime of, you know, holding RPAC uh, events. Not, not there's anything wrong with that. And it's great that people do that. But that's typically Realtor of the Year goes to somebody who's been on 47 different committees and has <laughs> really given themselves to the association. That wasn't me. So true. But I think what you gave, you gave, you gave the association something in a different way, you know, which is some of the stuff you mentioned about speaking on how to keep yourself motivated during COVID and, and some of that stuff. I mean, that's, that's huge. And that was just as, as important as almost some of the involvement that you mentioned too. I mean, it was a struggle for all of us. So this is something that, you know, everyone was experiencing for the first time, you know, in our lives. And, you know, just the challenges of not, like you mentioned, um, New York being shut down. Luckily in Ohio, we were uh, deemed essential. Um, thankfully to the work, you know, of our lobbyists here at Ohio Realtors and our CEO was very involved from the beginning calling our state house and saying, you know, realtors are essential. We can't stop. So that's interesting to hear because in Ohio, you know, we were lucky that that realtors were deemed essential and we were able to continue working through the pandemic. So that's kind of a whole different experience. It must have been very, very hard to work through. Yeah, I mean, we're, we have offices in New Jersey as well. And New Jersey was semi-lockdown, but they were also deemed essential. I will tell you, there is something very deflating about the yeah. government of your state calling you not essential. Like, that's yeah. a little bit like a blow to the ego. You know, all right, so yeah. I'm not I'm not essential. Like, come on, I'm, I'm important. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, Visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org. 
and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. Yeah, no, no, that's very, that's very true. Very true. Well, you got through it and clearly uh, had an amazing year. So congratulations on that, on the accomplishment. Way to go. So I want to hear a little bit about, you know, what are your keys to success? What was writing one, not two books like? You mentioned a little bit about how that decision was made to kind of turn that into two books, but why did you decide to do it? And why on these topics? Did you ever think that you would be an author? Was that something that you kind of set out? <laughs> yeah, I'd always wanted to write. I mean, you know, when, you know, my, when I was a law professor, I did a lot of writing, you know, as, as a law professor, your currency, your, your the, how you get ahead is by publishing articles and journals, not necessarily books, although if you can publish a book, that's great. So I always wanted to publish a book. There were always a bunch of projects in my head doing it, which never quite came to, would never were quite realized. And I was always very ad- admiring of people that published a book because I just, oh God, finishing a book was just the hardest thing in the world. So what finally motivated me for one thing was to some extent just basic self-preservation because I'd been speaking on these topics and designing content for these topics from my agents. And then I started speaking at other events and whatnot, talking about my my theories about real estate. And I was starting to see it percolate from other sources. You know, the, the things that I talked about, like even occasionally like like a line I use or whatever, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, my stuff is starting to become like, like part of the, not that people were stealing it. I don't, I don't, I'm not accusing anybody of stealing it. I'm just saying that like what was happening was that it was gaining influence without credit uh, accreditation. And I'm like, you know what? I got to get it in the book. I got to write a book because I want (laughs) to have it like a copyright on it and not to prevent ideas can't be copyright copyrighted, but the, the, just the, the very fact that I wanted when somebody were to go in front of a conference and basically deliver one of my theses from my book that I could say, all right, well, I wrote about that two years ago or something like that. Like there really was, that was part of it that, and, and, and part, you know, it was, and it was good. I was glad to have any kind of influence and I'm also allowing for the fact that smart people can come up with the same idea completely independently. But I did want to at least stake my claim that that when it came to the industry, focusing on client service and helping agents become better at their jobs, I wanted to stake my claim that this was my brand. This was my sweet spot. This is what I did. And if other people do it as well, fine, that's great. I have no problem. Not, I, I want more people to preach the gospel of this. I really do. But I wanted to at least stake my claim that this was something I focus on. Yeah. And so I got yeah, the two totally books Yeah, that totally makes done. sense. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? So I'll tell you the quick story of how the books actually got jump-started was it's got to be four years ago now, maybe five years ago. I was supposed to get on. And it's an interesting story because it's a story about how you bounce back from adversity. I was supposed to go to a conference in Denver. And... I was flying out of LaGuardia Airport, which if you, you're not from the area, but LaGuardia Airport is the worst airport in the world. The very worst. <laughs> all right. And I left, my flight was at nine. I left at six. It's a wow. 45 minute trip without traffic and leaving at six, you think you're going to beat the traffic, but it was a rainy day. It was like a Monday or a Tuesday. Everybody in the world decided to go to work early that day. I'm in traffic in the rain, the whole, like two hours in the rain. I don't get to the airport till it's like eight ten. Okay. And then I get to the airport. And meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out what my gate is. I'm looking ahead at my gate because they have different terminals. So I got to get to the right terminal and then get to the right gate. So 
I end up, and it's a long story, but basically I end up parking in the short-term parking. I'm going to pay for the, <laughs> I don't have time to get to the long-term parking and still get to the terminal. I park in the short-term parking, run out in the rain, run into the airport, and I realize I'm at the wrong terminal. And it's oh, it's no. <laughs> 8.15, 8.20, the flight's at 9. There's just no way I'm going to make my flight. So I go to the gate. I try to book a later flight. I couldn't book something till later that night. And I'm all deflated. I'm wet. I'm carrying my bags. I've been stress driving, white knuckling (laughs) through traffic and rain for two hours. And I'm like, I'm not going to make it to Denver. I'm not going to get to go to this conference. You know what it's like when you're ready to go to conference. You're you're in a mode of like you're really looking forward to like learning and, and, and conversing with people from the industry. Like it's a real good high level stuff. And I and all of a sudden I look and I say, okay, it's nine, it's now nine o'clock. The workday has started. And I'm gonna go back to the office and I'm gonna check my email. Like, ugh, ugh yeah. the worst. The in the inbox. <laughs> and I'm just gonna get back to a normal day of work, at which point it occurs to me that no one knows where I am. Everyone thinks that I am on my way to Denver. I have put my away message on my phone. I have put my reply on my emails. Everybody at the office is prepared for me to be away for three days. That I don't even now. If I was a smarter man, I would have hopped a flight to the Caribbean and gone away for three days. That would have been the smart thing to do. <laughs> there Instead, you go. <laughs> what I said because I was in such a productive mode. What I said was, you know what? We have a vacation home about uh, about an hour and a half south of where we live, and about an hour from LaGuardia Airport. I said, I'm just going to go there. It's empty right now. And I'm going to go there. I'm going to write. And I, t- I told nobody, nobody in the world besides my wife that I was in New Jersey instead of being in Denver. So I said to her, I'm in New Jersey. So if something happens, I can be home in an hour and a half. But like short of a fire, child accident, something like that, I'm just going to stay here. Treat me like I'm at a conference away. And I sat down and I wrote for three days. And I finished about probably two thirds of one book, which eventually became one third of each book as I ended up separating out. But I got about 70 pages, 50 to 70 pages done of different types of quality, but I got momentum. And then from then on, I would wake up every day. I I always wake up early. Anyway, I get to the office around seven and from seven to nine, I would keep working on it. And about six months later, I'd completed one of the books and I had probably 70% of the second book already done because I'd, I'd, cut it out of the first book. So I was doing like five pages a day, but five pages a day over the course of, you know, three months, really four months adds up. So my, my point of telling the story, besides the fact that it's relatively amusing, the fact that <laughs> I only started my book as I missed a flight is That's that funny, yeah. you, you can turn that adversity. I was so depressed missing that flight. And within like two hours, like the hour drive to the thing, I was all of a sudden now excited about trying to finally have the time to put this book get some work on this book, which I've been trying to do for so long. So, you know, sometimes it just takes something to shock you out of your daily routine to get you moving in a good direction. Yeah. And instead of, you know, being all frustrated and sitting at the airport, like, man, how do I get on another flight? You know, you you decided to say, no, forget it. I'm not meant to be there right now. I'm going to go in a different direction. And it's like, you know, rerouting yourself too, you know, instead of sitting there thinking you're going to do one thing, just saying, you know what, I'm going to try something different. And Look, look how awesome that worked out for you. So I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, kind of your theory and, and this core client oriented real estate methodology or, um, you know, 
approach that you uh, suggest in your books. Tell us a little bit about what it is and why is it so important? The um, core client-oriented real estate is the idea that we need to focus our attention on the needs of our clients rather than being so blinded by our own self-interest. And the example I use in, in really in both books, I think I reference it in both books, is the fact that for years, we knew the clients needed to know what their home was worth. Like they, they wanted to know what their home was worth. They couldn't find it out very easily. And we decided to take that need and exploit it and offer them free CMAs. That Every ad had a call me for a free CMA, every billboard, every signature of an email and every mailing would say, call me for a free CMA, which was our way of saying, call me so I can come give you my listing presentation. Like it wasn't call me for free CMA and they're going to call you and you're going to say, oh, where do you live? Four bedrooms, Dearborn Lake. Uh, yeah, that's worth about 475. No, we would say, oh, you want a free CMA? Let me do some prep. I'll come and I'll sit down with you. And you would do your 27 point marketing program and you do your, you show your rewards. And at the very end, you tell them what their home is worth. And the only one to know is what their home is worth. And instead of answering that need, we try, which was focusing on the client need, we focused on our need was that we needed a listing appointment. And so we, we converted their need to our need and then turned into something, which I don't think we got a lot of calls because people knew that it was a come on. They knew that they'd have to sit through a, a sales presentation. It's like, why you don't take those free weekends? I'm not sure. In the, in, the, in the Northeast, it's the Poconos. The Poconos always has those free weekends, which you have to sit through a four-hour timeshare presentation. I don't know what it's like where in Columbus they do that, but they do it all. Yeah. Or if you go to like Mexico or something, there's always yes. the, you get free Florida, casino chips. Yeah. 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 Free dinner, but you got to sit, you got to endure a two-hour, four-hour listing, pres uh, listing presentation to buy a timeshare. Yeah. So what happened? What happened was we opened the door for somebody else to come in and sweep our clients away from us, which was Zillow. Zillow created a way to answer the question automatically. Press a button and you find out what your home is worth. Now, it wasn't all that accurate. It wasn't all that good. But you know what? It was a lot easier than sitting through a three-hour, four-hour listing presentation. And I'm not even sure that Zillow knew how exactly it was going to make money doing it. They just knew that if they got an audience, if they got eyeballs, they would figure out how to pay for it. And they've obviously since then figured out how to pay for it by pulling money away from realtors. And we, we allowed that to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's the consequence when you don't pay attention to your, what your clients need, you open the door for somebody else to do it instead of you. And I see the same thing with the fact that when you years ago, if you needed a landscaper, your natural person to call was your realtor. If you needed an alarm installer, if you needed a plumber, if you needed an electrician, you know who to call. It's about home maintenance. I'm going to call my my the real estate agent sold me the house. And those were always questions we were willing to take. Those were always calls. Agents were always happy to hear from their past clients that the clients needed an engineer or you know an electrician because then they they get to make a referral to the electrician who then owes them a favor. So they love doing that. But we never really advertised it. We never really systematized it. So now you got Angie's list. You got Home Advisor, and they're they've taken that away from us. And we can't keep letting that happen. And one of the ways in which the, the best way for us to stop it from happening is to, it's almost like this Zen kind of thing where stop thinking about what you need, start thinking about what your clients need, think expansively about what they need, and then creatively about how to give it to them. And when you start doing that, all of a sudden you start 
finding ways to make yourself invaluable to people and irreplaceable to people. You know, yeah. how are we going to fight off disruption? Well, let's do a better job for our clients. Let's make it so that they don't uh, need to go elsewhere. You know, now everybody's concerned about these iBuyers. Well, why are iBuyers even viable in the market? They're viable because people find that selling a home is an ordeal. And if yeah. they can do it in a week without going through all the process of selling a home, they'd rather do it that way. Even if they take less money, some of them will take less money to do it that way. And that's on us because we haven't done enough in the last 20 years to make the transaction easier. We've spent a lot of money and a lot of time finding new ways to generate leads. Like our websites are all built to generate leads. They're all built to get eyeballs, get early stage buyers to click on the find out more button and get converted into a lead. But yet we've not spent a lot of time building websites that make the transaction easier. That so make true. showings easier, that make, you know, the paperwork easier, that make the mortgage easier. I mean, to me, the most exciting thing going on right now is that I think the all the disruption that that we've encountered and that's been pointed at real estate agents is now being pointed at mortgage, which is where the real problems are. And the problems with the transaction yeah. are in mortgage. The reason that iBuyers can close a deal in seven days is they don't need to get financing. The average cash buyer could also close a deal in seven days if that was what we wanted to do. We could get the title done in seven days. We could get it closed in seven days if the seller wanted to be out If because the cash buyer doesn't need to get a mortgage. But once you need to get a mortgage, you're looking at six weeks, minimum yeah. six weeks to get the mortgage. Even if you're clean, it just doesn't matter. It, does, it doesn't matter. There's going to be paperwork. There's going to be stuff that needs to get done, and, and it needs to, it's going to take time to get it done. And that's where we have not put enough pressure on mortgage partners to make that easier. So we've left the door open for somebody to come in and offer a seven day close because we haven't done enough to make the transaction easier. So my whole philosophy is that as an industry, we've been too focused inward on what is good for us. But when you do that and you're only focused on your own needs and you miss other people's needs, you miss opportunities. And ultimately that's where you miss out. And, and, you know, one of the great misconceptions about real estate is that real estate agents are salespeople, which is true, but they're not just salespeople because 90% of what they do is like what a lawyer does. It's a service industry. And we train them for sales and we award them for sales and we equip them for sales and we innovate for sales and we haven't done anything to help the average real estate agent become better at their job. Yeah. And that's what we need to do. And that's yeah. what all my training is about, is about how you become better at your job. How do you focus? How do you train yourself to think instinctively about what the client needs and about how to give it to them? And that's what, I'm, and, and that's what I'll be talking about in October or in September. Yeah, and we don't want to give away too much, but I think this was a great little um, introduction into what you'll hear more of at our convention. But I love something else, too, that you mentioned. Not only will this approach professionally change the game for our realtors, but personally, too, because a lot of this can apply to your personal relationships. And, I, and I'd love for you to just briefly kind of touch on how, you know, this approach kind of can change the game for your personal relationships, too. Well, it, the reason is that once you train your brain, to think reflexively about what other people need. Like a client calls you and instead of thinking to yourself, how can I make money from this client? It's okay. What does this client need? How can I give it to them? You know, what can I do for them? Because the more I do for them, 
the more likely it is that something will come back to me, not because of the universe, karma and stuff like that, but just because if you are constantly focused on what other people need and doing things for them, you generate opportunities for yourself. That's just the way it is. And, you know, like one of the hallmarks of my system is non-transactional services. Expand your conception of what you do for clients to offer them services that you don't get paid for, but which they need. Like, regular updates about what's going on in the market or what's going on in the community or whatever else. Like, you know, we put out at my company, we put out a list of all the fireworks displays in the region. So you can always find out where and when they're going to do fireworks during the 4th of July holidays. And people are always like, oh, when's the fourth, when's the, when's the fireworks? And we have that and we put it out there. We put out every year a, a tax grievance guide for right around the tax grievance season, how to grieve your taxes. Do we make money on any of that? No, we make nothing on all of that, but it's about servicing the client and creating a sticky relationship with them. And what the point you're making about is that once you train your brain to do that with your clients, you can't turn it off. It makes you better as a friend, as a spouse, as a partner, as a father, as a child, as a you know citizen. It makes you better because you're constantly thinking, you, you start to learn that there's a reward system for if you do things for other people, good stuff comes back to you. And it's not just in real estate. It's not just in business. It's in life. And as you train your brain to focus that way and to be reflexive, so an opportunity comes to you, you think, okay, how can I help them with this? Then you do it all the time. And it has made me. It's made me a happier, better person as I've refined, refined, refined this philosophy. It just makes me better at what I do. And makes your relationship stronger and in return makes you stronger. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, it's really tough to even quantify it, like how it changes things, but just your life becomes more about other people and that makes you yeah. happier because that's, if you read anything about what makes people happy, they are happy when they are making connections to other people, meaningful connections to other people. And the best way to make connections with other people is to be authentically interested in their best interest and how to achieve it for them. That's how yep. you do it. So true. So true. And I can't wait to hear more about this and this approach at our convention coming up in just a few weeks. So if you have not registered for that, uh, make sure to get registered. You'll, you'll hear more of Joe's presentation as well as so much more from amazing speakers that we have coming in from across the country and just a chance to be in person together, which I know we all miss uh, so much. So it'll be very excited. Get registered um, on our website, ohiorealtors.org slash convention. Joe, thank you so much for joining me today and giving a little preview of your speech. We can't wait to see you in person in just a couple weeks at convention. Allison, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And to our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in and we will see you guys next week. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen have questions, comments, or suggestions, we want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. 
stay humble.